Good morning, everyone. So great to be back here. It's been a while since I've had the honor of bringing God's word before you and got to shake off a little the cobwebs last week, but it's great to be here this morning. And before we begin, I just wanted to say on behalf of our family, a big thank you to everyone for your love and support through our son's Asher's birth. We were blessed with all the prayers and all the generosity from the meals, from the diapers to the gifts. They've been a blessing to our family, and we are grateful for all the support that you guys have given to us through this time, and we just wanted to say thank you for that. It's been a while, but we are going to be taking a break from our study through the Gospel of Mark, if you haven't been able to say tell that yet, and we're going to be back in the book of Philippians. We were in the book of Philippians about seven weeks ago, and our brother Matt looked at the first 11 verses here in chapter 2 and shared with us, pointing out that, that Paul here is calling for a sense of unity within the church, for the church to love one another and to reach out and care for one another. And all of this is possible because of the example that we have in Christ and his humility and his being exalted and everything like that is a reason for us to love and have unity with one another. And what we'll see is that a lot of what we see in today's passage really points back to what we've been studying in the book of Philippians since chapter, verse 27 in chapter 1, in the great hymn of Christ in, in verses 5 through 11 in chapter 2. All that connects to what we're going to be looking at today on what it means to live as a Christian, what it means to have Christian discipleship, on how we as believers ought to live our lives. It all connects back to what Christ has done on our behalf. And Paul wants us to consider our walk at all times. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. And as a lot of scholars would call this, this is one of the most important passages when it comes to sanctification, on what it means to work out our faith, what it means to live this life as Christians here today. And so that leads me to the main idea. I forgot to get it up there, so it's not going to be up there. I see people looking up. My apologies. But the main idea today is all Christians are called to work out their salvation because it is God who is enabling us to do so. I'll say that again. All Christians are called to work out their salvation because it is God who is enabling us to do so. What we see is this idea of obedience, of working out our salvation, it's not an option for us as believers. We don't get to opt into this plan. It's something that we are called to, but, but I ain't getting ahead of myself. We are going to be in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read from 12 to 18, but we're going to be primarily in verses 12 and 13. And if you don't have a Bible, you can find a Bible in the seat in front of you. We will be on page 981. And if you need a Bible, that is your Bible. That is our gift to you. If you need to take one home, we just ask that you use it and bring it back and study God's word. But Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, this morning, and we humble ourselves before your throne, acknowledging that you are the creator of all things, that you are, you are sovereign over all things, Father. That we wouldn't have been able to get up this morning without your power in us. We wouldn't be able to come here today, Lord, and sing these songs of praise and willingly sit under the preaching of your word if it wasn't for you working in our hearts, Father. Lord, we ask that you be with us this morning, that you use your word to sanctify us, Father, that you use your word to convict us, you use your word to build us up, Father. We pray that as we spend these next several moments, Lord, it is a time where we can give you praise and glorify your name, Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be edifying to this people, Father. We pray this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen. Point number one, if you will, is simple. Obedience is not an option for the believer. Obedience is not an option for the believer. Verse 12, Paul starts with, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. He calls them to obedience at all times. Therefore, here, if we know anything about when we see this in our Bibles, we understand that when the author uses this therefore, they're trying to connect their previous thoughts to what they're about to say. So everything that has come beforehand, Paul's saying, because of all of that, now you have to continue to obey. Paul's telling us that everything that came beforehand has to do with our calling, with how we are to live out as Christians, how we are to be discipled under Jesus Christ. He's calling us to work out our salvation, to obey at all times. And that is only possible because of what we see came beforehand in verses 6 through 8, because it is he did not count equality. God, Jesus did not count equality a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And because that is true, because that is true of our Lord and Savior, we must live our lives as obedient servants, as humbled people who are there to follow the example that Christ has laid. Paul is saying all this should compel us 
It should lead us. It should bring a desire in us to bring glory to God. He says, you must keep obeying. Paul here is talking to the Philippian church, and he's seeking to encourage them in his language. We see this in his words of my beloved. He's wanting them to know that he loves them. Church, I love you because you are my beloved. This is what I'm calling you to do, that you have to obey when I'm there and even when I'm not. Paul is pastoral here with his language. He's encouraging. He's praising them first and foremost for the fact that they have obeyed, just as you have always obeyed. Continue to do so now that I am gone. Obedience here implies a sense of submission to God's word. It's not just listen to God's word, listen to it preached, but it's living it out. It's to be in active submission to God's word. It's not just hearing it, but it's being moved to action by God's word. That's what Paul means here when he says, as you have always obeyed, continue to do so in my absence. Submit yourselves to God's word. This obedience here, it's very similar to what we see Lydia do in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, where she hears Paul preaching and talking about God, and she is moved to then be baptized. Almost immediately, this thing is she hears God's words. She is then submitting to God's word. She is moved to action by her obedience. That is what Paul is calling us to do here, that we must live in submission to God's word. And this is not optional. Paul saying, you do this while I'm there, and then you must continue to do so. Even more when I'm not with you. When I am absent, you have to keep obeying. It's not something that you only do when you're around certain people. He understood the human nature. He understand the challenge at times. It's always easier to obey. It's always easier to watch the things that we say when we're around like-minded believers, when we're in church or when we're around our leaders, we know then that we need to be careful of what we say. We know then that we must obey the things of God. But what about when you're not here? What about when you're not around those brothers and sisters who are going to hold you accountable? It's Paul saying even in those moments, you must obey. You must submit to God's word. It's not a call isn't to obey sometimes, but it's to obey all the times. This isn't easy. I'm not saying this is going to be easy. And I'm not saying that the type of obedience that comes from being around like-minded believers, being a church isn't good. But we're called to obey at all times. How does Paul call them? He says, just as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. How does he call them? He says this in the rest of verse 12. You obey by working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul gives them a way on how to do this, how to obey, how to submit yourself to God's will in your life. Real quick, what this doesn't mean, 
Paul isn't telling them that you get to contribute to your own salvation. Paul isn't saying that he isn't calling us to work for our own salvation. We understand that we have been justified already. We are saved. We will see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. So that no one may boast. So Paul isn't saying you have to work for your salvation. That there's something that you're bringing into this. This work out. In that sense, bringing it to completion. As Sinclair Ferguson says, what does it mean to work out our salvation? It is to make sure that it's influence. It is to make sure that the implications of our salvation permeate the whole of our lives. That in every area of our lives, every area, every little crevices in our lives, it is being permeated by the fact that we have been saved through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to work out your salvation. This is calling us. This is why we have to always be preaching the gospel to ourselves. We have to be reminded of that moment when we first came to faith because it is in those moments that we can allow the gospel, allow the fact that work that God is doing in us to permeate our whole lives. So I want to see three ways, three ways that we can work out our salvation. Three ways that we see Paul telling us here. First, salvation has to be worked out continuously. This is not something that you do every so often. As I mentioned earlier, this is one of the more important passages when it comes to the doctrine of sanctification, which is this idea that, that we must continue to work on our salvation, that we must continue to grow in Christ-likeness, that we must continue to grow in godliness. The idea is not that we work out one time a week. Work out here in the Greek is what is called is in the present middle imperative. And all that really means for us is that this command to work out is something that has to be continuously happening in our lives. It's not a one-time thing. We are to work it out at all times. MacArthur, when expanding on this idea, writes that the idea here is to keep working out to that salvation has come to its completion, to its ultimate fulfillment. Which means you never stop. It never will stop. Our salvation won't be complete until either Christ, God calls us home or until Christ returns. So we are to continue every day of our lives until we go see our Savior to work out our faith, our salvation with fear and trembling. This is, as it says in our articles of faith, sanctification is a progressive work. It is something that is happening at all times. It continues throughout the believer's life. It just doesn't come to an end. But we are to be continuously working out our salvation. Brothers and sisters, he's calling us here to be more like Christ. To grow in godliness, to grow in the fruit of the spirits, to allow the gospel to permeate our lives. What is Paul saying here? It's, we have to allow our salvation. Salvation has to go beyond our head. It's not just something that we know. 
but it has to move from our head to our hands and to our feet and to our mouths and to our actions. Salvation has to go beyond something that we simply know to be true. We have to allow it to permeate every area of our lives. And that is how you stay obedient. That is how you submit to God's word. That is how you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's allowing it to permeate every area of our lives. We understand that salvation means that you have been justified. That you've put your trust in Jesus. You are justified at that moment. You are declared righteous. And that you now have a right standing relationship with God of the universe. And in that truth now, you live that out. It's not something that we simply know. But you live it out like that's true. Like you know it to be true with everything inside you. And so it affects every area of our lives. We walk it out day and and, and night. This is a lifelong obedience. Obedience is not optional for the Christian. Obedience is something that is assumed in the scriptures. It's a lifelong working out. Second thing we see, Paul says, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation is to be worked out with fear and trembling. There are different types of fear that people could interpret this passage with. There's an unhealthy fear, right? The one that, that, that leads the Christian to, to cower away from God. There's a fear that can lead us away from God. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. The fear and trembling that Paul is talking about here is not one that leads us ultimately to depression or to have a spirit of anxiety because we're unsure of things. The fear and trembling that Paul is talking about here is this reverent awe of God, being amazed by who God truly is. Jeffrey Wilson notes that this phrase, fear and trembling, denotes an attitude of humility. That, that this fear and trembling leads to us humbling ourselves before God. So you are to humbly work out your salvation, understanding who the God of the scriptures is. And we live through that. In other words, Paul here is calling us to work out our salvation in reverent humility before God. We are humbling ourselves before him. It brings us to our knees because we understand who this God of the scriptures is. We can't be in reverent awe of a God that we don't know. We can't be amazed by the God of the scriptures if we don't know the God of the scriptures. And the more that we know God, the more that we study his truths, the more that we internalize these truths, then we can be in awe. And then we can revere God for his majesty. But if you're not learning, if you're not in the scriptures, if you don't know this God, then it's going to be hard for you to humble yourself before this God. A proper understanding of who God is. Leads to humility. It it brings us to our knees before the God of the universe. That's the type of fear and trembling that Paul is getting at here. That the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's this understanding of who the God 
of the scriptures truly is. It's this fear and trembling. It's this reverent awe. It's this reverent humility is what makes us concerned with the things of God. It's what leads us to turn from our sins. It's what should be motivating us to be in obedience. It's what should be motivating us to submit ourselves to God's will. We can't do that if we are not humbling ourselves before God. If we're not coming before him with humility, we can't live that out. We can't even start to submit ourselves to God's will if we're not, if we don't know the God of the scriptures. It's this attitude that we must approach God with humility because of who he is. The last thing we see here, Paul says, you work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We work out our salvation because it is God who is at work within us. We are not left to our own accord. We are not simply saved. We're not simply justified. And God says, you're good to go. Figure it out on your own. We have helped. God is still working within us. We are not called to obey We are not called to submit ourselves to God. We are not called to work out our own salvation in our own power. What we see here, Paul says, is you have the power of God within you. That is why you are able to do these things, because God is still actively working in you. Therefore, you can work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We understand that this is a great God, the God of the universe who is all-knowing, this God who is all-powerful, this God who created everything, and this God who sustains everything, the God who never gets tired, the God who the world bows before him, the God who, who has never, ever broken a covenant, the God who loves his children unconditionally. This is the God who is working within you. To bring out all the good for his pleasure. He gives us the ability. He gives us the desire we see here. For it is God who works in you both to will or that to give you the desire. And who gives you the power, the ability to work. So we can do this. Even though it may seem at times this is difficult. I can't live like this. But we have God working within us. He's given us the strength and the ability to do so. He, God, has given you everything that you need to live according to what the scripture says. He is working within you. Paul knew this to be true, which is why he can say all the way back in chapter 1, verse 6, here in Philippians, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul can say that with the utmost confidence because he understands that God is still working within his people. God gives us the ability, he gives us this desire, the will, and the power to do this. We understand that there's no limit to God's power. All right, we got the power of God 
running through us and we can do this. This is why Paul in Colossians 1, 29 says, For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power, to God's power, which works mightily within me. The reason I can go from church to church, the reason why I can withstand all that God has given me, all the, the persecution is because I have the God's power working mightily within me. So you may feel like some days are hard and difficult. You may feel like it's impossible to, to work out our, our salvation in this way, but you have the God of the universe working within you. That is what Paul is saying. And because of that, he can call the Philippian church to obey at all times, to submit themselves to, go, to God's word. He can tell them that you do this without grumbling or anything, as it says in the next several passages, because God is at work in us. Everything that God is doing in us, everything that God is going to do through us is for his good pleasure. As we see at the end of verse 13, it's for his good pleasure. It is for his good purpose. And so it's through his power. It is through God's power that we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We find comfort in the fact that we are not left to our own accords, but that God is still active to this day, working in us. He is working us to not just stop at our conversion and then stop at the moment that we were declared justified, but God continues. He continues to work in you to this day and will continue to work in you through the rest of your life. And this is why this is feasible for us. This is possible because God is at work in us and he will continue to work in us until we are called home or until he returns. And so we are, as a church body, as believers, as people who've given their lives to God to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's not something we do one day, two, three days of a week. There's no real cheat day to this. There's no recovery day. This is what we do each and every day. And as we close, I would like to address the non-believers here who may be listening. And as Christians, we are called to work out our salvation. But what about you? What about those who haven't put their trust in Christ? What do you need to consider? I would like to, for you to consider an eternal question. Where would you spend the rest of eternity if something was to happen to you today or if something was to happen to you this week, where would you spend the rest of eternity? Because the scriptures are clear. Once our time here on this earth is done, there's only two places people will go. It's either heaven or hell. You either go spend the rest of eternity with the creator of the universe, singing songs of praise towards him, being in his presence, or you'll spend the rest of eternity in the presence of God's wrath. Those are the two places for this world. And if you are not in God then what? What do you need to work out, if you will? Where do you stand before God? Because as it says earlier in chapter 2, every knee will bow. 
Every tongue at some point will confess that he is God. Every single one of us will stand before God and be judged. There's, there's no escaping that. There's no loophole to that. There's no way around that. You're either going to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and be declared justified, or you're going to be condemned to spend the rest of eternity in hell. Because the Bible is clear in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's everyone. There's no excuse. There's no way out. Every single one of us, whether we like to admit it or not, We've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. You may think, I'm a good person. I'm all right. Compared to the rest of this world, I'm not that bad. The scriptures also say that no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And because that is true, and we know that to be true, everyone deserves death. And so what you need to work out is where are you going to be for the rest of eternity? Because there will be a time where we will be judged. But there is a way out of that, right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. What does that mean? It means that God has given those people who put their trust in Jesus Christ a way out, if you will. It means that, that Jesus is the Son of God. We understand that to be true. That he is the second person of the Trinity. And that he came into this world through the virgin birth, took on our nature, never getting rid of his divine nature, and walked this earth the way we walk this earth. But the only difference is Jesus never sinned. He lived a perfect life. He never dishonored his parents. He never told a lie. Jesus walked this earth and never sinned. Completely innocent, then went willingly to the cross and was whipped, was beaten, was crushed, took the punishment that is ours as sinners on himself, died on that cross, and didn't just end there, but we understand as the scripture says, he rose again three days later and is now sitting at the right hand of God. And if you turn from your sins and you put your faith and trust in the works of Jesus, then you can have peace with God today. You can have peace with God. You can, your faith, your faith, your, your trust in God would lead you to being declared righteous because of who you are trusting in. And so you must consider today, non-believers, where will you be when your time on this earth ends? If you've never considered those things, if you haven't thought about that and you want to ask more questions and you're curious and you really want to know, you can see me, you can see Pastor West, you can see any of us of the leaders here. We would love to talk to you about what it means to put your trust in Jesus. But we can't, don't let another day go by where you're not asking those questions asking what does it mean how can i do this and now my brothers and sisters in christ it's really just one thing i have to say to you in this this it's be active work out your salvation continuously never cease to work out your faith 
What does that mean? Be active in your prayer life. Be active in reading your Bible. Be active in Christian fellowship. You have to be involved. And I know it's a lot easier to just say these things. But we have to stop putting it off. We have to start now. We've all done the Bible readings in a year, right? And whether it's the next day or a month or two, three months in, we, we end up falling behind and we start, you know what, I'm just going to, st- I'll try again next year. But start now. Stop making excuses. We can always say, you know what, I'll start next week. I'll start next month. I haven't really been praying, but I'll, I'll, I'll wait till a new week to really start praying. We must start now. We must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There is no time to start now. There's no time to wait later. It's to start now. Whether it's, if you can't, if you don't know how to pray, a lot of people say, I can't pray. How do I pray? If you're struggling with that, pick up a prayer book and read that during your prayer times. There's a great book, The Valley of Visions. Pick that up. There are about a minute prayers you can say in a minute. If if you're struggling, you're like, I don't know how to pray before God. Pick up a prayer book and use that in your prayer time. But do something. Don't just make excuses. Be active. You can find find a website with The Valley of Visions that, that has a little schedule for the day. At three different times of the day, which ones to read at which times? There's a bunch of prayer books out there. If you need any suggestions, you can see me, Pastor West, whoever after the service, and we can tell you what you can. But, but the, the point is to start now. Don't wait. Maybe, you, maybe you're struggling with reading the Bible and you're like, I can't just do that. Well, maybe find a devotional. Start with a devotional. They always have a couple verses at the top, and then it expounds a little bit. And use that. But the point is start now. Don't wait. Be active in your faith. You have to be intentional. Right? If you're struggling to pray, don't all of a sudden say, you know what? I'm going to start praying 30 minutes a day. If you're already struggling, let's be realistic. Set five minutes or something, but, but don't make it so that you're defeated in one day or in two days or in three days, and then you're not doing it. You have to be realistic. You have to be intentional. Set reminders. If you have to, set a reminder on your phone that goes off every couple hours so that you can be praying. Be intentional. If you're in the car and you drive for 30 minutes, turn off the radio, whatever, and and spend a couple minutes in prayer. Or listen to the Bible if that's what you can do in a car. But you have to be intentional. To work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to do this with humility and to humble ourselves before God, we have to be intentional. We have everything that we need. The nourishment that we need, we have it in our Bibles. We just have to be willing to open it. Last, if we want to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, you have to live it out in community. It's easy to kind of look at these verses and to get an individualistic sense of this calling. Right? I have to do this on my own. He says, work out your salvation. But let's not forget, church, that, that this book was addressed to a group of people. It was addressed to the congregation in Philippi. There is a corporate aspect to this calling of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You are not called to do it alone. You are to be in 
the church body and doing this and encouraging one another. There's no better way to accomplish the unity, the harmony that Paul calls in the earlier chapter here in verse 2. And there's no easier way to work out our salvation than it is to do it within the body of Christ. You don't have to. You can't, you can't do this alone. You have to have the church family come alongside you. As I, as I talked about last week, we have these one another commands that we are to live it out. The best way that we can promote unity, that we can promote harmony, the best way that we can encourage one another to work out our faith with fear and trembling is doing it together. You are called to build one another up, Romans 14.9. You are to bear one another's burdens, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. You are to teach one another. You are to exhort one another. You are to stir one another up in love and good works. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. There is a corporate sense to this calling that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are to do this with the body, not on our own. We are to be involved in one another's lives. We make this offer every, every week. We make this offer to the non-believers that if, if you want to talk about what it means to live out your, to, to put your trust in Jesus Christ, that you can see us. But church, that, that call is also to you. If you are struggling in your walk with the Lord, if this is difficult, if you feel like working out my salvation with, with fear and troubling is hard, it's difficult, if there are more bad days than good, we are here for you, church. We are here for you. We, we love you guys dearly. And we would say, talk to us. Pull us aside after the service. Pastor, I'm struggling with this. Maybe you know someone in the church. You can pull them aside. I, this is hard. How can I be better at this? I'm struggling with this. We need one another. The call to see us after is not just for the non-believer, but it's for you, church. We are here for you. Don't let another day go by where we're not getting help and we're not striving to live out our salvation with fear and trembling. That is what we are called to do as believers in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a great and powerful and loving God who sees us at our worst, when we are the most wretched that we can be, and you save us from that filth. Not only do you save us, Father, but you continue to work within us. You continue to walk along us, Father, to make sure that we are doing the things that we need to do, Father, that we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, Father. May we be encouraged May we be comforted by the fact that you are still working in us till this day, Father. That we don't have to work this out on our own. we got a God in the heavens who cares deeply, who loves his children deeply, who provides for them on so many other occasions, Father. We thank you for the gift of eternal life that we have in your Son, Father. Give us the strength, give us the discernment, give us the will and power 
to work out our salvation, Father, with fear and trembling. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And as people said, Amen. Amen.